This is Radio ANA, broadcasting on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We are Annalise and Arnie, talking about community and individual responses to harm, transformative justice, accountability, safety, support and healing and prison abolition within and challenging dominator culture. We would like to acknowledge Aboriginal elders past and present and to acknowledge and honour the resistance of First Nations people across these lands.
and that song was Thick as Thieves by The Jam. And you are listening to Radio A&A. Tonight we will be listening to part one of an interview that Annalise and I did with Nick and Mark, authors of Crimes of Class, and the intro's in the interview. So here we go. Hi, Mark and Nick. We read your blog, Crimes of Class, when it came out, and we were keen to interview you both on the themes that stood out to us that related to our show. The blog says we hope it provides an insight into love, care, and solidarity as everyday revolutionary practices from below, among the poor and criminalised. Did you both want to introduce yourselves, the land you're on, and the interviews or the blog? So my name's Mark. I'm calling in or, you know, living on and um, on unceded Darawal country in Wollongong. And I've been here for about five years this stint, but I've lived here for a long time before before that. So, and before that, I was not far from here as well. So, so yeah, I'm Mark and um, on Darawal country in Wollongong. Yeah, and I'm Nick. Um I've lived here since um, I was a child in uh, Wollongong on Darawal country um, and I'd like to acknowledge the ongoing struggles against uh, colonialism and oppression and for a country and community. Thank you, Mark and Nick. Um, Did you want to let listeners know a little bit about how the blog came about? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess when we and Nick have known each other for a long time now, I guess it must be nearly 25 years, I think, um, and have talked a lot about different things in those times and obviously class and class struggle and communism and so on are, are key elements of all of those conversations for a long time now. Um, but there was one particular thing that came up, I can't remember, it was almost a random conversation we had on social media that then prompted, you know, this idea of interviewing each other about experiences of um, poverty, class and class struggle in, a, in Australia um, and in relationship to our own experiences of those things and and criminalisation and, and all of those sorts of things as a way to kind of think about and talk about I guess what the composition and the experiences of class are like, um, particularly as we live, well, we both live in Wollongong now, but we were sort of thinking about the past, I guess, when we did these interviews, weren't we? And thinking about rural and regional areas of Australia and the kind of experiences, manifestations, struggles around class and poverty and, and so on in, in those, in, in that sort of context, I suppose. Is what I remember. <laughs> and it's crimesofclass.substack.com. Crimes of class is what's called, but just in case anyone doesn't know what it is. Yeah, and I, I suppose um, it was an interesting uh, process for us because, as Mark says, we have known each other for almost 25 years. But in some ways, this was a way of getting to know each other even better, to to learn about each other's backgrounds and the sort of um, experiences and learning that we'd done during those years. And 
also a way of getting to know ourselves better, to actually look back on our own lives and think about those in a, in a different way and sort of help each other to explore that, hoping that when we shared that um, publicly, that would be useful for other people. And mm-hmm. we, one of the key things we wanted to talk about was how lessons, um, often moral sort of stories or instructions, get handed down um, and so we wanted to be part of that as well as explore it. I guess, you know, thinking about those lessons and stories, you know, you do explore the skills, knowledges, experiences, practices and relationships that come up or arise from everyday solidarity. Can you speak a bit, like each of you, about these skills and knowledges and what you've noticed in yourselves some of those learnings that's been useful in movement and relationship building. I don't know. What, hope this is okay with with you, Nick, and with everybody. Um, so that was we. You know, I had thought a little bit about um, this, and I found that the easiest way for me to kind of think about it was to think about Nick rather than myself, um, and to think about how. I've learned from Nick, I think, and observed Nick around these sorts of lessons and ways of being. And and so obviously, Nick, you correct me if anything I say is wrong. But um, <laughs> but this is how I've um, sort of come to it. And I hopefully in, in saying some of this, I'll be saying a little bit about myself um, as well. But I guess in some sense, I think a part of, you know, relationship building and movement building, I think, you know, there's a similarity in terms of how we relate in those sorts of things or there's a way in which we can sort of thematize or theorize those things um, in relationship to each other and like thinking back on some of the stories in the blog and also in our own lives you know tension and conflict and contradiction are sort of key elements of what it means to live in the kind of circumstances that we talk about in in the blog um but also, you know, tension and contradiction and conflict are key parts of, say, movement building and, and stuff like that as well, right? And so in this sense, Nick once said in relationship, I think to do maybe to a question around safer spaces or organisation that often sometimes these things are about framing, framed in terms of like eradicating conflict or trying to remove that from that space. And Nick put it that often actually it's the other way and it's about the better organisation of conflict and it's the better organisation of those contradictions. And I think that for me, having been around Nick but also observing my own sort of relationships, that's a really key lesson, which is how to realise that our own relationships have to be durable, our movements have to be durable, but for things to be durable we have to sit with the tension and we have to hold that tension and we have to work through um, those contradictions, I suppose. Um, And that involves a whole range of things and contradiction, not only in terms of like things that are in opposition to each other, but the fact that things are often unclear, irreconcilable, inconsistent, you know what I mean? That's in our relationships and in our, in our movements. And so trying to navigate and think about that. And so that's kind of abstract, but I feel like, one thing that Nick has taught really well is that what that means is like, you know, having an attentiveness to patience and to listening and to 
being able to see things as they are right now, but also where they're going and a commitment to the fact that things change. And when things change, that's ourselves changing, but also the people that we're with also changing and that we change each other through struggling and relating to each other. And so I feel like that as a lesson is something like that's tangible and applicable to how we grapple with the messiness of just our own everyday personal lives but it's also a way in which we can think about movement and and struggle so i feel like you know these ideas around for me anyway like love patience and and an acknowledgement that we struggle and we're communists because we're committed to the fact that things can change so you have to have some optimism around change but we're in that and our relationships are in that and the way in which we all are, are in that so even the people that i've known who you know, there's been difficulties. We have to, we move together because things. We have to have some commitment to that possibility of change. I suppose something along those lines. Thanks, Mark. I um, I don't know whether to re- direct this question at you or to Nick because it's sort of a story about Nick. So maybe <laughs> I'll just say the question. But um, like Mark, you were saying that sort of learnt this idea of um, conflict being part of movement building and also relationship building. And Nick had said um, something around, yeah, what about the better organisation of conflict rather than um, having no conflict, which we know um, often results in um, not, yeah, very um, harmful relationships usually. Um, is there like a history for that uh, value for you, Nick? Like did you, is that something that you, that you sort of grew up with or, you know, where did that sort of come into your life, that idea that um, conflict is sort of um, is present in our lives and it is actually something that we want in movement building and in relationships and to work out how to do conflict in more generative ways? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and answer that question and also the the other question in sort of looking back at at. Um, my own history and also my relationship with Mark uh, and and the movements we've been involved in. So I grew up in a, a communist family, um, which I discussed quite a bit in the in the blog. And so there was an understanding that you know life is struggle, um, that involves conflict, and that that in general is a positive thing because the absence of conflict means that we're being, you know, dominated. Um, so we need to struggle. Um, there needs to be conflict. We just have to make sure that we're doing that conflict in, you know, a positive way that creates a better world. So I've been involved in, you know, during my childhood, I was, you know, via my parents and the rest of my family, I was involved in a lot of movements. Um, when I became a teenager and, and escaped from school um, and that type of domination, then um, I uh, went to work for the Communist Party and I've been involved in other left parties. I've been involved in revolutionary groups and trade union worker struggles, um, you know, supporting feminist movements and anti-racist movements and peace movements and and so on. And through those, I, I've learnt, you know, more about, you know, hopefully, and gain more skills on how to, you know, and thought more about how to make conflict um, productive uh, and positive. 
And when I met Mark, we both were involved in the alter globalization movement, um, or what other people called the global justice movement, which was, you know, opposing um, corporate globalization, but trying to build alternative globalization. So um, trying to both challenge the power of corporations, but also develop more democratic militant and powerful forms of organization that could both do that and create a, a better world. And that movement was increasingly confronted with the, the question of violence. So we had increasing state repression of that movement. And at the same time, or, you know, as that movement was really um, reaching its peak, we had the terrorist attacks in um, America, and then we had a sort of, you know, a big upsurge of, of uh, both terrorism and war, the move to war, and that movement transformed itself into a global peace movement. And that helped me to learn some lessons about the, the crucial um, nature of of struggles around anti-violence and if we're thinking about conflict you know how do we do conflict that doesn't perpetuate and, and um, intensify violence that became not just a crucial question for myself or for Mark or for us and the group we we're involved in but for the movement um, you know for the world and because of the sort of demoralizing um, impact of the invasion of Iraq on the on the alter globalization come peace movement. Um, I sort of went off to university and decided that I better study uh, about some of the questions that had been raised in that movement. And so I increasingly wrote about democracy um, in in that question of well, how do we organise our power? Um, peace, because for me, violence was. A, um, now a, a central question, um, and love, because for me that was the key practice um, that could assist us to um, do the other, to, to, to develop more democratic ways of organising and to build, help build peace. And Mark and I have in recent years been involved in the climate justice movement and... Again, these issues have been raised, but also, you know, new issues um, and crucially issues of um, adapting to, you know, uh, increasingly disastrous situations, atomization, despair, um, concerns like that. But also we've focused increasingly on the importance of care work. So we've seen... Um, as the disasters of the climate and environmental crisis intensify, an increasing recognition and an increasing need to develop our ability to care for each other, for the environment and, and so forth. So we've looked at, you know, how, you know, how that is crucial, how it's central and, and how can we do that better? Um, so how do we, you know, sort of turn to each other for support, how do we build uh, camaraderie, um, how do we build trust, how do we develop um, care work. And again, the, 
more recently and then leading up to when we published Crimes of Class, it was, of course, the pandemic. Um, and that's further exposed sort of anxieties, fear. Um, you know, we've had the issue of anger has become, I think, more important. So how do we deal with those things? Um, and, you know, a sort of widespread grief and sadness um, but also, again, the importance of organising every day, as we saw during the pandemic, to survive, to build, you know, um, support, solidarity for each other, um, commonality, collective responses um, to crisis and disaster. And we feel that those are the sort of crucial things that we need to do. And we're part of various groups here, Gong Commune, um, that we help form uh, the climate justice movement and we've been involved in the sort of just transitions um, element of that and, uh, and so on.
And that song was The Clash, uh, Bank Robber. Another song uh, sent to us um, from Nick and Mark, who we are doing an interview with, the authors of Crimes of Class blog, and we'll cut back to that interview now. I'm wondering, like, you know, with so many things that you've shared and thinking around, yeah, doing conflict in generative ways, Mark speaking earlier about we change each other through struggle, wanting to do conflict that creates a better world, and then, like, the role of sort of anti-violence and, you know, love is what you were talking about, Nick, as a key practice, love and care. And I was wondering, you know, in, uh, you know, your reflections around this, like what actually contributes to doing conflict um, in a way that changes each other, you know, towards the world we want to create. Yeah, there's skills or kind of knowledges you've learned around, I don't know, like undoing or reflecting on or unpacking the way we all um I guess, recruited into doing conflict, doing engagement with others in ways that replicate domination. You know, you speak a little bit, Mark, around recruitment into whiteness um, and possibilities to lean into the dominations, uh, white domination, white supremacy in interactions. You know, I'm thinking also sometimes, yeah, on this show we speak a lot about like, yeah, recruitments into ideas of gender and obviously we're talking also about class, but yeah, I wondered if you could speak to any of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a serious um, question, isn't it? And I think, in some ways, like I guess, kind of difficult to. I find it difficult to think about or to name, in some ways, um, the ways to avoid that. You know, I mean, to avoid recruitment in to those. Um, systems and practices of of hierarchy i mean i guess and i mean i'm kind of wary to sort of answer in an abstract way because you sort of said you know what are the actual practices <laughs> um but i guess like i like to think at least that we confront and when i say we i mean you know us in this chat but also people in you know we all do in various ways confront or you know are you know are brought into find ourselves in a world that is characterised by all these systems of exploitation and domination and so on. But the need for those systems to kind of reproduce themselves speaks to the fact that people try not to be recruited into those systems. So that there is always some element of refusal and struggle of of those systems of domination, you know what I mean, whether that's whiteness or um, patriarchy, you know, ver- you know, which is not to say that it's always, you know, successful or that other people, you know, that there's not modes of complicity or even, you know, active reconstruction of them, but just that there's always a contradiction there. Um, so I guess in terms of like practices and, you know, how has it in my own life, I guess, maybe been resisted, I feel like, again, it has to do with, the relationships or the people that I've sort of known to a certain extent, right? And finding some way to sort of, again, being very abstract, but, you know, finding some way to sort of see that we're better off refusing, I guess, our recruitment into some of those systems and that when we find ourselves that we have been in the sense that we're doing things that other people then tell us we're doing, 
even if I didn't think I was, um, that again, sort of a, a listening and a, and a sitting with that and a thinking critically about our own practices is a component of struggle, I suppose. You know what I mean? And that, that, that sort of process shouldn't be excluded from how we think about what class struggle is or what other, whatever these sorts of things are, right? So I guess sort of identify, you know, trying to find the time and the ways to sit with those things and talk them out and think about them. And, and again, I guess a way in which this feels generative rather than closed down or sort of individualistic Again, maybe comes back to that thing I said earlier, but it's just some notion that, you know, these things don't come from some ahistorical identity self, but are structures that we live in. And so we have the capacity to change each other and to change ourselves and to confront these sorts of um, relationships or these systems. Thinking about, yeah, I was interested to hear even the word... Um, love and for both of you like sort of what when you say um words like love um what what sort of do you mean like um yeah when you're talking about that so for for me I usually define what I'm talking about when I talk about love as a the struggles to create more caring social relations so that's, I think, I've written quite a bit on love and it's a very difficult word to quickly, you know, succinctly uh, and accurately um, explain. So that is my go-to um, because it's fairly general, but I think it captures that, you know, the, the general, you know, it is, it's struggle, it's work, um, it's not, a, you know, it can include a lot of the things we we conjure up or think of when we, you know, think of love. But I think it's important to think of it as ongoing struggle and as work. Um, so I tend to, to focus on that. And, and yeah, it's a, you know, it, it recognises that all around us people are trying to care um, and that's a difficult thing to do. So we shouldn't be too... Um, you know, we should be careful about judging too harshly people's attempts to do that. I just wanted to say something in relation to the, the previous question um, because I think to help, you know, when I think about being recruited um, into domination, you know, I think it 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 makes me think about how, you know, I'm a, a privileged white cisgendered male, right? Um, and in Crimes of Class, we both give accounts both of how we've been abused and harmed, but also how we have either engaged in or be complicit with um, harming and abusing others. And so I think it, it helps for me to think about how I'm both a survivor of harm and abuse and a perpetrator of harm and abuse. And it's not always clear when, you know, those are interconnected and it's not always clear um, when you're doing those things. It's it's hard to know. So I, I think of myself as having a range of, of subjectivities um, and, you know, some of those are 
um, struggling against abuse and harm, and some of those are reproducing abuse and harm. For instance, I'm I'm an academic, and one of the things that I struggle with is being involved in the university. And I was recruited into the university. I was given the ultimatum by the the, um, the Centrelink. Um, I had a choice. I could either do work for the doll, where I would be dominated, where people would have incredible power over my life, um, and I'd get nothing basically for that, or I could go into further education um, and potentially increase my knowledge and skills and, and gain more power over my life. Um, and that then led to an academic job where a lot of that was true, but I also then had power over other people, um, my students. And because the academy, the, the university, is um, about training people to fit into uh, an oppressive dominating world or system, um, culture, um, then I'm complicit with that. So I, you know, um, do harm to my students. My students are, you know, often already suffering from multiple traumas. They're anxious, they're damaged, they're, they're you know, they're depressed and so forth. And the sorts of things that I help to police as an academic um, and help to, re you know, as I say, reproduce are harmful and abusive. Um, so, you know, I'm being harmed and abused in that process as well, but I'm, you know, I'm also a perpetrator of that. And mm -hmm. it's a very difficult um, position to, to be in. So I, I think it, it's helpful to understand that we have a range of subjectivities um, and that our social relations are interconnected and in some ways we're all reproducing stuff that damages and harms us um, because that can help us to learn how, you know, we can avoid or reduce or challenge or replace um, those uh, ideas and practices. Mm. Thank you for that, Nick. Arnie and I have had lots of conversations around this and particularly around, you know, some of the things that we um, sort of do work in around community responses to harm and often very, yeah, very stark binaries show up in terms of like this idea of victim perpetrator um, without much sort of nuance in there around what you were saying, the ways that we can both reproduce harm and, and also experience harm. Um and maybe this, yeah, could go into um, our next question, uh, which relates to your blog too, in the context um, that you both talk about of everyday refusal, um, saying no to police um, and in movement organising. Um, so in both your lives and in movement organising. Um, yeah, growing up and in your experiences in movement building, um, what were the sort of practices of accountability um, that you experienced? Um, yeah, practices that are without judging or without policing practices. And where did you learn those from? You know, where and who? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like it's such a really good question and I struggled to sort of think about it again in some sense because I'm not entirely sure what the judging element means. Like I can sort of think about that in terms of the legal imposition of um, 
the law and conservation and all those sorts of things, right? But in terms of like my experiences of accountability, relationship building through, say, tension and contradiction and conflict in a way that remains, say, accountable um, to everybody involved, then in some regards, judgments have been important in that, like, and people come into decisions about, so when I say judgments, I mean, you know, that people are deciding together about what we can all live with, with each other, and how do we construct a, an environment and a set of relationships that allow us to continue to live um, with each other and in proximity to each other um, in a way that reduces the amount of, say, harm that we might be doing to each other. Um, but in that sense, sort of like judging how to do that has been a key element, you know what I mean? So, And even in some sense, like, so I'm thinking of a story, so to give it, give it a more concrete example, and this is in... The blog. I talk about this in the blog, but one, this, my mind went to this one um, when the question came up. But it's like one example is you know. So one part of the story for me in the blog is like, you know, growing up in and being raised by um, people, my parent, well, my mom and my stepdad who have pretty, who had, um, they don't, they're not around anymore, but had pretty serious heroin addictions, um, and for a part, for some of that time, you know sold heroin right and so what that meant was and you know i was in a neighborhood that was you know poor housing commission area regional one that you know already there was you know there's there's drug use all sorts of things going on right so it's not just my household but can't deny the role that my household played in it um and so what that meant is sort of down the street there's a park big field and for a time you know there was needles being left in the in the park and so on and there's also like loads of kids in this neighborhood. So eventually, you know, someone else in the neighborhood came to our house and, you know, brought this up and confronted um, my mum about it, basically. And, you know, I was young at the time, so I don't know exactly what happened, but that changed, right? In the sense that, you know, mum's relationships with the people who had, who were likely to have been doing that was good enough that they could talk about that and and change that. And then the relationship between, say, my mum and this person who initially really did not like us at all, um, they came on to have a really great relationship and stayed friends all the way through until um, mum passed away. And so in that sense, you know, like Lorraine definitely judged, made a decision and then acted, but it led to something, you know what I mean? It led to a process of change. So in that sense, yeah, like that seems to me a good example of, say, accountability maybe um, and addressing it in a way that led to something. And so for me in terms of like, again, learning, you know, and that's sort of like a non-state, like it's a non-policing. I think of it as a non-policing thing because it would have been very easy and people did call the cops on our neighbourhood and on our house, you know what I mean? But that isn't an example of that. And so I feel like that and just my neighbourhood in general was a really good lesson or less a whole laboratory of lessons in terms of, like, how to deal with each other through conflict but often with care um, in a way that didn't invite more 
um, of the carceral sort of system into the neighbourhood. They were already really making themselves felt, as you can imagine. Um, and so in terms of, like, where I learned them, I feel like, yeah, just, like, everybody in the neighbourhood sort of taught me those things. And then in the movement side of things, that translates into a different sort of language and conceptual framing, I suppose, um, both in terms of, like, I guess how we think about accountability within our movements and communities and so on, but also in terms of like, okay, well, how do we deal with the cops in movements and that even if there's an array of different activities that are going on within, say, a protest context, that you have the debates and the criticisms within the movement, but you don't sell out or, you know, criticise certain things with an eye to the state to come in and help you police them, which is what happens sometimes, you know what I mean? So trying to build a culture of organisation where, yes, we can have criticism, we can disagree, and we can, and they can be quite sharp, stark, but that we grapple with that within the movement, so to speak, um, rather than by the law. Yeah, and I, I think that... We sort of talked in, in the blog or when we were um, thinking of, of doing the, the interviews um, for the blog that, you know, we wanted to sort of share morality tales that are judgments, yeah, that they are judgments that are passed down that are, you know, and we didn't do this uncritically, but, you know, that are passed down to help guide us, you know, the lessons that have been learnt or, you know, suggestions about lessons that have been learnt. So, you know, um, those sorts of uh, stories that, that, you know, Mark was sharing there are, you know, contain morality tales that, you know, are, are judgmental um, but aren't meant to police. They're meant to advise. They're meant to, you know, help um, people to survive and to struggle and and this is you know we think the class has, has you know the lessons from those struggles um, uh, from class struggle from oppressed people's struggles um, are important to, to to share and and so yeah and I I think with accountability that's it depends how you think of accountability for me I was thinking about accountability and it and I like to, you know, sort of break that break up the word to maybe think about it differently. So, what is our ability to account for why things are the way that they are, right? And history and and struggles from the past and our own experiences can help us to understand where we're at and where we might be going um, if we can account for them well. So, what's our ability to account? You know. Um, and again, that helps us understand all of our roles and all, all of our subjectivities and, you know, um, lots going to stay unclear, but I think thinking of accountability as giving an account, explaining what happened, why we think it happened, what we can do about it, attempting to address the issues that are raised in that, um, that, you know, thinking about the lessons or whatever, um, is a is a way I think of accountability. So it's, it can be an individual process, but more importantly, I think it can be a collective process where we do that, you know, in conversations or we put together 
blogs or radio shows or we have meetings and conversations. You know, there's a range of things we can do that's focused both on the individual and, and you know, the 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 collective, uh, you know, the class or, you know, the, the, the movements and, and so forth. And one of the things I think that's connected to that is an understanding of our responsibility. And again, I like to break that word up so that we think about it as our ability to respond. Right? So how can we develop our responsibility or our responsibilities? How can we better respond to the harm, to the abuse, to the need to build care and love and solidarity. How can we do that? That is a responsibility. It's a responsibility that we should develop individually and we should develop collectively. Um, so, yeah, when I'm thinking of accountability, I sort of connect it with that. I think it's really important, especially um, given the climate extinction um, and environmental crises that we're going to have to um respond to a lot that's coming and we need to develop our ability to do that and crucial to those responses is going to be um how we account for the damages the harms and how we can better develop the care the love the solidarity that's going to be crucial to surviving uh, uh, those crises and building something better. I was thinking while you were both talking, and actually I was thinking about this a lot when I was reading the blog as well, you know, like I grew up in a very different context, like um, middle to upper middle class, white family, very different class culture, very different stories of morality really were passed down. And I was thinking when both of you were speaking about you know, judgment and um, even just then the kinds of judgments that you're talking about, like, aren't, well, to me, it didn't sound like um, as against the idea of contradiction or tension, you know, and I think, yeah, uh, even just then when you're speaking about it, it's like uh, judgments around actions, um, judgments about behaviours, but that sit alongside this view of people in your lives and people's view of each other as, being outside of a binary, people participating in, um, you know, in a variety of different activities and having a variety of different parts of them where that judgment doesn't go against, like, their perception of humanity. And I was thinking about, you know, my growing up life and the kinds of stories that I received, I think so much were more judgment was against contradiction. People are either good or bad. What you are doing is either good or bad. Once you do the wrong thing, you are in trouble and you stay in trouble, um, you know, and this real kind of obviously I think, you know, maybe many people have different experiences of that in different ways. But, yeah, I was wondering about, yeah, if you kind of um, think that those kinds of binaries and the idea of judgment, like it wasn't present in terms of like dehumanising, I suppose, of people that are around you, if it was able to hold like love, care, and also judgment around people's actions at the same time. And that was just more normalised in the growing up lives that you had because it really wasn't in mine. So thinking about those examples, like I couldn't think of that many um, slash any except maybe amongst, you know, kids at school um, of trying to avoid getting in trouble from teachers or something. But, 
yeah, it's like a really different context and cultural ideas that then I'm bringing and needing to undo, I think, to be able to participate in these practices without bringing that in. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in this way, as you say that, and then reflecting on, um, yeah, what what does judgment mean and how does it operate? And I think as you put it, that's really um clear and useful like that judgment can function as like you know you're on this side or you're on that side and this is right and that is wrong and you have to become fundamentally you know you have to fit a certain you know mode of being in order to be proper i suppose and that's a certain way of how judgment works and to a certain extent um how judgment works as a form of violence um that people um are subject to and resist and in a way um and then you know there's those other i guess ways in which we've discussed judgment which is a way of almost like finding a, a terrain to negotiate around and then to produce the way of being together but i think one of the lessons for me too is that i did feel judged like i felt in the world very judged and very devalued and very like that once i left the parameter like the streets of my neighborhood i entered into some other world that was in more harsh opposition to my existence than it was when i went back into um the neighborhood even though ostensibly the neighborhood was more tense and you know like there was sort of more um what to this at, at the surface level there was more conflict more tension more aggression more sorts of things of that what would be read in that way that would be judged in that way going on in the neighborhood but to me it felt the opposite in the sense that once i left that felt much more of a harsher kind of social world to live in and a more judgmental social world to live in where you did either have to pretend that you didn't have the body and the subjectivity and the experiences that you had and that you didn't speak of those um for fear of yet yeah, all those other types of judgment right so i think in some sense it's, it is in a in a way the experience of that and the very like from an early age a commitment to refuse that like just like partly just because i hated how it made me feel like it made me feel so shit about myself that the idea that i would do that to make someone else feel as shit as that made me feel like just was horrifying to me so so thankfully for me that meant that with friends and with other relationships and people around and then just through you know almost a sense of luck becoming into you know other sorts of cult subcultural countercultural political spaces finding ways to not just have that feeling but find a way to do something with it with people with people around me but it does i think it's partly that it's basically being like okay that's what happens out there that is really shit and seems really quite damaging and what we have here in the neighborhood is also quite damaging for various other reasons and partly because of that exterior thing but what we do here is we try to we construct our own truths in a sense you know what i mean and and it's funny you know like i'm just i'll finish with this little anecdote but like it was funny for me my stepdad always used to you know we would 
be honest about all sorts of things, right? About our lives and about what it was all about and what was going on. So honesty was a big, a big thing. Um, but he always used to criticize me for being like too honest in other in other ways. Um, and I think that was a part of the lessons of like you don't have to always tell the cops the truth. You don't always have to tell the police or the teachers or whatever. You know what I mean? That there's a double practice going on and we can refuse that logic at the same time as we produce our own. And I think that happens in all different contradictory ways. Yeah, and I, I think um I think I I was lucky in the sense that my my upbringing was quite different and and more privileged than Mark's. And as I said, I sort of grew up in a a communist family and and was part of the communist movement my whole life. And um, one of the the sort of lessons I learned from initially my family and and then um, the Communist Party and and the and left other left wing parties and groups was how contradictory they were so how they would often talk about the world and and you know um critique the world and you know domination and oppression and the lack of care and or you know inability to love and so forth and then they would demonstrate you know often in quite extreme forms exactly the same thing and it was you know, trying to understand how that happened, that it sort of taught me important lessons about, you know, how when people say they're, you know, struggling for a better world, sometimes they're, they're not, and that can have an everyday impact on your life in horrible ways. Um, and I didn't want to reproduce that, um, and so I've struggled all of my life, well, you know, you know, since I've been conscious of these sorts of things in any sorts of ways, when I was young, obviously in, in fairly limited ways, but in, you know that's what I've been struggling to try not to reproduce and um, and to encourage other people not to reproduce because it had a really um, harmful impact on my own life, on the lives of those around me, and I, you know, uh, I've said before that. You know, I, I discovered what I wanted of more in my own life was love, and at the same time I discovered that's what I wanted more of from the movements I was involved in. And so, yeah, that was that was a really helpful lesson for me to learn from the, the contradictions uh, of those um, I was around as I grew up. I think I'm still learning in those contradictions. I had this might be a strange question. I have a question for you, Mark, about Lorraine and if Lorraine sort of knows that you have this quite large learning from her that you've carried through in your life and whether and what she would think about that, that she had this practice of accountability without police. And, yeah, yeah you've carried that through. And so we'll actually hear Mark's thoughts on this and a continuation of this conversation um, with Nick and Mark in part two of the interview next time on Radio ANA. And you can read um, the interviews that Nick and Mark are referring to on crimesofclass.substack.com. And you have been listening to Radio ANA. 
And yes, so part two of the interview and a continuation of the conversation next time. And we're going to go out listening to a song and this is Dead Kennedys with I Fought the Law. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.